welcome to the Magic Weekly Podcast, closer to the Magic Monthly Podcast as we work through the offseason, which officially began on Sunday night as the Lakers dispatched of the Heat in six games. Congrats to the Lakers on a great season. Congrats to the Heat as well. Uh, and a hearty thank you and job well done to everybody involved in the Disney campus, from our partners at Disney to everyone on campus representing both Disney and the league and each franchise. Truly a remarkable feat to be able to to pull that thing off. I'm your host, Jake Chapman. Excited to be back with you and very excited to speak to my guest for the program today. He's been one of the Magic's assistant general managers for the last three seasons, described by Jeff Weltman as the Magic's bubble MVP for the way he was able to digest and condense and relay all of the NBA safety protocols for the Disney campus to the Magic's basketball operations staff and players. And we're going to discuss that and much more with Pete D'Alessandro, Magic Assistant General Manager, my guest today on the Magic Weekly Podcast. Pete, thanks for taking a couple minutes. How are you? Thanks, Jake, so much. Uh, everything's great. Everything's great. We're uh, working away here, but uh, really appreciate having a chance to, to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for taking some time. Uh, let's start with what we saw last night, Pete. A, a great night for the league. Obviously, a great night for LeBron James, Anthony Davis, uh, and the Lakers. They dominate the Heat in game six en route to their NBA championship. That's four rings now for LeBron James, of course. Can you just speak to the job? I do want to get into the accomplishment of just being able to to crown uh, a champion this season uh, and what it meant for the league. But what did you see from the Lakers, the way they were able to, um, I don't know, I guess use their size. That was, it seemed to be the big difference maker um, there in that series. But obviously they got, you know, one of the best players of all time. They got one of the best players in the league right now, uh, especially defensively as far as Anthony Davis goes. What did you think about what the Lakers were able to accomplish this year? Yeah, I think uh, it's on personal, un- unbelievable. I read uh, there was some GM poll early in the year where I think very, very few had them winning it. I think, you know, there were a couple of teams ahead of them. But I think, you know, uh, along with, with size and, what I, you know, poise and experience um, and the way they handled themselves through it all, they were just so consistently good throughout this whole process. And, um, you know, a lot of credit to, to Rob Polinka for, for putting it together. People, I don't know if everyone realizes, like, you think, well, like, it's so, so simple. It's not simple to go, get, to go get the player they got in the offseason when they made that trade. Those trades are really difficult. Mm. And um, it takes a lot of planning and thinking on the fly. And then it never works out exactly the way you want. But I, I have to give Rob and his staff, like, so much credit for the way they handle that. And they put together the deal that, you know, mission accomplished for them. So, Big time congratulations. I wanted to ask you about the head coach. I don't think any head coach of LeBron James will ever get the credit he deserves. You can talk about Eric Spolstro. You can talk about Tyrod Lue. Um, but, but what about the job Frank Vogel was able to do with that group? Because like you said, you know, I, I think people assume it's easy when you have the type of talent that they have, but somebody's got to put it all together. And I think Frank probably it's undersold the job he did this year. Yeah. I mean, he's a very humble guy, you know, as we all know, and, uh, and a great person. I think, um, you know, Frank did a, a great job. I mean, I think they were talking about it a little bit last night in the telecast and, and that's not an easy job. Like you're managing a lot of personalities and, and to be able to look again, once that's one of those jobs where if you don't win, it might be worse. You know what I mean? Cause the expectations are so high when you walk in there. So, I mean, I think like, to be able to walk in there and, and manage the personalities and drive that thing all the way in for the touchdown is like an, an incredible feat. I think, you know, tribute to, to him and, and the whole staff, really. I think 
I think they handled themselves throughout the, and in such a unique way, right? You're in a bubble. Like this isn't like your normal, <laughs> your normal way to do it, but um, they did it. So congratulations. Nothing's been remotely normal, Pete, uh, <laughs> no. pretty much since no. mid-March. I mean, it, you know, we can officially say now that the NBA's Disney campus was a total success, but we couldn't say that until about 10 p.m. last night. Um, I've heard Michelle Roberts recently say she was like 50% confident when they started that they were going to be able to pull this whole thing off. You know more than just about anybody, the level of detail that went into the protocols, 113 pages of safety rules and guidelines, memos, hours and hours of work and planning on the league level. And then, of course, within the franchises, Pete, I am prouder than ever to be a part of this league for many, many reasons. Um, but truly, that undertaking was absolutely unprecedented on, again, the side of the league, um, the players union and the specific franchises and the players themselves who had uh, to, to make pretty big sacrifices to pull this whole thing off. Like, what are your thoughts sort of from 30,000 feet on what's gone on in the NBA over the last couple months? I'm with you, man. Like, I Look, it's, it was a check your ego at the door kind of moment for everyone, right? Like, we had high-level league employees, attorneys, business people handling things like the catering. And I, and I mean this, like, and handling it with, like, class and like, doing it the right way and, and treating it as their job is the most important job in the world. And I think, like, when you look at this league, like, I couldn't be more proud of being part of this league. And when I say the league, not just, like, not just the players, clearly what they did was amazing uh, and the staffs and what they did, but that league office, like yeah. what they, what they just did with Adam Silver and his crew just pulled off there is unbelievable. Like you, when you think about, and having seen it, like we were on, I was on a daily call with, um, there was one representative for each team every day. Um, Byron's rules, like walking us through, like what are the concerns? What they wanted to know every single day, what the concerns were, bring them up to us and let's handle them. And when I say concerns, it was like from the smallest things to like the biggest things. And so that this is only a success because of all that work. I feel like like this is a situation where I learned um, about process on a level that I, I never, I'm a process person. I've, I've been raised that way, but I never saw it like this before. And, and I, I think we all became better. I'd like to think we all became better for it. What's the most impressive part to you? I mean, you're a quote unquote capologist, right? So you, like you said, you, you go through uh, the minutia um, of, you know, legalities of, uh, uh, of a collective bargaining agreement that is essentially defining rules for an entire business. So I, I would think anybody uh, who does what you do would be able to, um, to digest that information and you understand the level of detail that's necessary for something like this, because this is literally soup to nuts. We made a basketball league uh, over the course of the last couple months. What, what do you think are a couple keys to be able to pull it off? Is it that communication, that day-to-day -day stuff? Is it the leadership um, from Adam Silver and, and Michelle Roberts, maybe specifically? Like what, what would have been the, the, the main ingredient that if you didn't have it, this whole thing would have gone, uh, would have gone down? Without question, 100% it's communication. Like, especially for this, we were all learning. We were all, like, it was a new job. Like you say, you understand the minutia of, but I was learning the minutia of CDC guidelines, right? <laughs> Things that I never thought in my career um, I would be a, a part of or have to know, right? And I was learning that because we had a staff in, in the league office. And by the way, other teams too. Like, I always said, like, I had worked a little on the business side in Denver. And with the thing that made that really intrigued me about it was the business side of NBA teams always work collaboratively, right? Cause they're not competing locally for business. So they help each other out. They'll yeah. say, Hey, what are you guys doing there? How are we, 
Whereas on the basketball side, we're very insular, right? We, we're like, we can't really share a lot, right? This was a little different because we were all sharing, like, how are you guys handling this? How, like, on the basketball side, like, because there were, there were medical, you know, precautions that we were all taking. And, and what did you do with this player when this player couldn't get in on time? And so we were all like kind of, I don't want to say collaborating, but really communicating even on that level, um, which was so interesting to me because we're operating a little different. Now on the competitive side, we still were, you're right, you're close to the vest and keeping it quiet. But on that, on, on that medical side, we were all very collaborative and really go, going back to it, like that communication, we had so many avenues for us to get information and they were responsive and, and, and putting this whole thing together. And look, there were two things, right? How are we going to conduct this like, this actual bubble from a competitive standpoint and how are we going to conduct it from a safety standpoint? So there's these two prongs going on and there was just so much to unravel in both of those prongs. It's in such a short period of time. None of us ever experienced that, but I think, you know, it couldn't have been done without that communication. It really couldn't have been. That's fascinating. And that, it seems to me that, you know, you saw it a little bit with baseball and they were able to eventually get on the same page, but it, this could have been such a difficult labor issue and uh, the leadership between Adam Silver and, and the partnership and the Tim Reynolds from the Associated Press described it um, as, as Adam Silver and Michelle Roberts know how to argue. And anytime you're in like a, a room like this and you're negotiating big ticket stuff like this, and I'm sure you can speak to this as well. Um, there is, you know, it, there's got to be some give and there has to be some compromise and, and you're talking about important things. You're talking about safety for crying out loud. You're talking about players health um, at the forefront, uh, the partnership between the union and the league. I, w without that leadership, it seems to me um, that could have been in a very precarious situation. I think a lot of credit probably has to be given to those two uh, for being able to represent their, their constituencies, um, but to do it in a respectful manner and to keep you know, the, sort of the primary objectives of players' health and, and, and making sure we finish this season, uh, you know, at, at the forefront, uh, just a phenomenal job from them as well. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, not to be overlooked is, is the social messaging that I think was a big part of this. You know, when you have, when you have players, owners, and, and front office people all on the same, on the same um, page when it comes to, like, the bigger picture of this thing and the, and the time that we're in. And I think that was a, that, that was a big part of the trust there. And I think it was genuine. You saw real concern from all areas and, and everyone kind of came together and said, look, it, like these bigger issues that, which are way bigger than, than, than having a successful bubble. Right. But they were put at the forefront. And I think with everyone embracing that, there was like this, um, this thread that kind of tied it all together. And, and I think it really says a lot, about the communication of our league from ownership to players to, to staff. And I think I was, I was really proud to be a part of that. No, that's a great point. It's, um, it's empathy, you know, it, it, it's, it, the players are um, the product. And, and if the players are feeling the way they did, and I mean, obviously we, we were ground zero um, when, when the Bucks protested that game, to be able to to break it down into human terms, I think was probably very important um, sort of across the board um, because that's it's been a obviously very difficult time for many reasons uh, for everybody in this country, but very specifically uh, for the players and coaches who were asked to, like I said, make giant sacrifices. You're miles away from your family. Uh, you're locked in this bubble and you're sitting there watching, you know, terrible things happen on the news. 
and trying to figure out how to deal with it. So I think that was obviously, I, I like the way you described it. It was, it was sort of a thread um, that kept everybody together. Let's go back to the spring uh, and then June. You get the 113-page safety protocol from the NBA. The plans are being laid uh, to, to pull off this thing that we just accomplished. And you are tasked with breaking the whole thing down, you and Stephen Mervis. Um, and, and essentially, your job at that point is to, <laughs> to condense a whole boatload of information into what about five or 10 pages, uh, I guess, to, to be able to relay to the, to the basketball operations staff and the players. What was that like? Yeah, poor Stephen Mervis. <laughs> poor guy. No, honestly, I, I obviously love him. He's our director of strategy and spent a lot of time on the, on the phone and in Zooms, and I've spent more time on Zoom with him than he probably cares to, to uh, do ever again. But we, we did it. Um, I think so like that night, it's like 9.30 at night, it was like the night before I was, it was my birthday the next day. Right. So at like nine 30, I get this memo and I'm like, here we go. And, uh, we, we spoke that night, uh, both digested it separately and did our thing. And, you know, we spent a good part of the next day just trying to break it down and, and simplify it as much as you can. Um, you know, I think I, for the first draft was so long. Jeff was like, uh, Pete, can you, <laughs> take that down a little bit like because it was it was like way too it was it was way too much but there was so much in there to unpack right and um and I think you know we did I mean it was it's the job and, and we did it and um hopefully it helped our guys understand but more important than a memo like that is um and this is you know kind of the way Jeff runs his organization is sort of like what I was talking about the NBA having all those avenues of communication is that our phones are open for everyone that Players can call us anytime, can speak to us. Coaches can call us anytime. That there's always a, a, the ability. So it's like, you know, if that memo was 13 pages or 20 pages, it doesn't matter. You can pick the phone up and call me. I've digested it. And, and you know, there's a lot of that communication, frankly, that happens, um, especially in a time like that where there was so much confusion. And I learned on most of those calls, because as you know, <laughs> like most of these, these, you learn from the questions, right? And so – we were learning quickly from the questions. And again, like a real, a lot of credit to Steven for that. Cause I think I, I drove him crazy over that time period. Well, I mean, I, I would imagine it would be painstaking. I, I mean, you, you and Steven, I think are probably both uh, better conditioned to go through a 113 page safety protocol than most. Um, but I would imagine it, it just had to be, um, just a very difficult process. And then you say, okay, this is what I'm going to prioritize. And this is the information I'm going to re relay. And then something else happens, right? You get another memo and then you have to sort of augment it. How was that? Like, what was, you mentioned the communications, you mentioned the, the questions that you're getting from BOP staff and from players and being able to, to sort of, um, I guess, crystallize what, what was most important, but how did you sort of prioritize it yourself when you're going through it? What did you think? This is, this is what we have to put at the forefront um, to make sure that, you know, we're going to be able to, to, to accomplish our goals. There had to be some level of prioritizing, but if it's 113 pages, all of that information is, is crucial um, and, and is useful. So I would imagine that process had to be really difficult. Yeah. And I think um, so much of it falls on, on, on Jeff Weldman and John Hammond shoulders, right. To like communicate it and to talk to the agents. Cause look, like players don't have to go into the situation either. They right. elect to go in, right. There could be financial repercussions if you don't, but it's not. So it's like, there was a lot of, um, 
really grassroots work we had to do within our organization to say, okay, guys, how are you doing this? And then, and then understanding, like, if you had replacement players, how that would work. And whether you signed a replaced player or not, you need to know what the opportunity was in that, right? And so um, there was just so much, you know, for as much as I say, like, we had to do to get the information in, the real work started once we had the information, right? Like, what, what, what is the team that we're going to bring and how is this going to happen? How is this going to happen now? And, um, you know, I think regularly communicating with, with Coach Cliff about, like, what the rules were for him. Because early on, coming in, like, you know, it was one player, one coach, gloves, masks, and then they got to the point where people were being tested in the basket. So there were all these different um, points where everything shifted and it became more and more like a normal situation. And then they got on the bus and got into the bubble where it became, you know, they were quarantined there for a while. And so it's, it's just really making sure everyone understood everything. So, and, and most importantly, like the staff that was going into, into that bubble, because they really had to know what was happening, you know, step by step before they got there. Can you speak to the job Cliff has done? I think with all the social justice initiatives, he's, he's been really at the forefront um, of, of, of getting out and, and, and mobilizing Central Florida voters. Um, but, you know, in an unprecedented year, top to bottom, it seems like he's been a really steadying voice within the locker room, within the organization in general. Can you just speak about the job he's done so far this year? Yeah, it's funny, like, because Coach Cliff, I think, is, like, top, top notch. And, I, you know, from the day he got here, I used to say, like, when I needed to – feel like I needed to personally be picked up. I would go sit in on a team meeting, on a team meeting and watch them with I mean that, right? And I missed that when they were in the bubble. I didn't go to the bubble. Um, and, I, and I feel like just that spirit that he brings of positivity and, and like approachability, like Cliff gets it. He really gets it. He's seen so much in his career and, and he's just great coach and a great, even more important, a great human being. And I think um, that goes a long way. Like when you get into a situation that's a stressful situation, what's the bubble? was like walking in there like not knowing what the future was we were going to get through it right i couldn't think of a better person um to be in, in partnership with on that and so like the communication level with him was you know daily and and continued um then when jeff was in the bubble with john and, and it just continues like it was just such a it's such a great foundation to have like those three guys working together so the offseason officially began last night, but it's, it's an offseason certainly unlike any other. There's, there's still so many what ifs, and, and rightfully so, because, you know, um, everything's different. You had to wait until uh, basically we got through and, and, and crowned a champion before you could even begin to ask the questions that still need answered uh, as far as this offseason. What's it like? We won't get into any specifics. We can. We don't really have any answers on anything just yet, except, you know, a tentative date for the draft. How do you go about it? How do you and, and the rest of the basketball operations staff go through, you know, planning this out um, without having any answers just yet? Is it just a, a, a continuous list of contingency plans? Uh, what's your day-to-day -day like right now? Yeah, well, um, it's like two different levels. Um, Jeff has been running this thing um, as if we are every day prepared. We've been prepared for the draft for multiple dates now, right? right? So we've been preparing for that. I'm on a very regular basis and, and putting, putting in a lot, of, a lot of calls, Zoom calls, video and all that, right? And on the other side of it is um, in terms of, you know, the contingencies, um, just, you know, I mentioned Stephen. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Matt Lloyd and David Bench um, and our group. Like we get together in smaller groups and, and break off and, 
kind of really deep dive into the minutia of everything and everything that could potentially happen, which as you can imagine, is like the world of things right now because we don't, we don't know, but we want to be ready for whatever it is. Right. And, um, you know, like without groups like that and then leadership like Jeff and John, I, I don't know how you do it. I think, um, I, I think like those sessions – I mean, we spent hours, I, I laughed because before I got on this, I actually messed up logging into Zoom. I'm like, how do you do that? You've been on Zoom like 6,000 hours in the last two weeks. I don't know, um, but I did. But it's because of like those meetings and, and the volume of those meetings and the constant dialogue that you kind of turn everything over and, and, you, and you speak about it again. And, and I think I, like, um, it's, it's, in a weird way, it's, it's been business as usual. Like we're, we're a hardworking group and a process oriented group. And that has continued. It's just been more like face to face on a video call a lot more than face to face. Structurally. I know Matt handles a lot of the draft prep stuff and, and you handle a lot of the intricacies uh, with contracts and, and with the CBA, but that's not, you know, those lines are blurred. You guys work together um, uh, quite a bit. And, and I think that's the way it probably should be structured. You don't want it to have people in silos in a basketball operations department, but what's the draft prep been like? What's this been like for Matt, not being able to have guys come in, trying to do everything via zoom. Um, but just one more sort of unprecedented, uh, process that you have to work through, uh, in a crazy year, but, but how's that coming along? Well, I'll say this and I, I genuinely mean this is what I, I've had a long career. I've, I've never worked with a person more organized than Matt. And wow. I think he's done, he does such a great, great job of like, of, of like driving the agenda, kind of keeping it clean and neat so everyone understands what's happening. And, and it's just so, it, it's, it's such a streamlined process that, um, you know, in this time when you would think it should be crazy, like the, the date of the draft change, it could just, just goes to the next step and it goes to the next step. And so like so much credit to him on that. Um, and, and it's been a lot of, of meetings. Like Jeff, Jeff is a, is a very draft focused, um, leader and, and always has been. And John is as well. And, and, and he's a, our, our person, our focus on personnel is so big that we just had like, so, I mean, like I said before, so many hours of, of calls and, and meetings and constant exchange of whether it's, you know, Slack text, like every other platform you can imagine. Um, but you know, we we work in the NBA and and it's fun, right? Like there's, there's a lot of fun. Like even even with the changes and the craziness, it's fun. Like new time brings new opinions and there's new points that are brought up, and we continue to have these these discussions and dialogues and and um, I, I've the process has been really fun. And I don't know if it would have been as much fun without that organization and that structure. I really I don't I don't because I think because it's so neatly done, we have really productive conversations and um, I'm excited. We're all excited about the draft and, and we'll see, we'll see where it takes us. No, I think that's a great way to look at it. it, it a lot of challenges obviously this year, but it's, it, it's basketball. It's supposed to be fun. And uh, again, you flip on the news and you see actual serious things to worry about. And then you probably uh, take some solace in your work. Last thing for me, Pete, and I really appreciate the time. Um, this magic team, obviously, uh, you know, not quite the season that you, uh, that you wanted with the first round exit, uh, to the Bucks. injuries, obviously a huge issue, but as you approach the off season, uh, what are just some areas on the floor that you think the team is probably looking to improve upon to be able to take that next step next year? You know, like one of the things is like, there's so much for us to know about, um, what the parameter is going to be right to, to right. take that next step. I think, um, you know, 
one of the most important things in, in this league is um, patience with your young players. Cause I mean, those are the guys that, that can get you to that next level and, and taking your time and, and whether that means patience in rehabbing or patience in development, but, but doing it the right way. And, and I think Jeff's brought an incredible staff for that. And we have that going on. Um, with that said, always looking to improve, right? So that's not to say like you're not getting into the off season saying like, there's like, if you could see my walls, there's 6,000 things up here right now, just from discussions, right? Because you have to talk about every possible thing. Cause there's no way to, to know what the future brings, but you need to be ready. You need to be ready to pivot and make the right move at the right time. And I think, you know, I have full faith that, that in our conversations, the, the opportunities will present themselves. They always will. And, um, you know, we'll be ready for them when, when that time comes. But in the meanwhile, you have to continue to develop your young players in a way that you have this foundation and this culture that kind of moves it forward. And you can look at any of the teams that have built and have done it the right way. Some of the teams that, I, you know, I've been part of, um, they, it's, it's that approach. And you have, to, you have to be willing to do that as kind of your foundation and then be willing – to make the moves when they're available. Yep, you got to be able to pounce if you if you have the opportunity. But I think we've seen great organizations uh, build something sustainable, and and patience is always going to be a virtue uh, when you're talking about building uh, a championship level organization. Pete D'Alessandro, Magic Assistant General Manager. Thanks so much for the time, Pete. I really appreciate it. I hope we can catch up along the way. That's been awesome. Thanks so much, Jake. All right. There he is, Pete D'Alessandro, Magic Assistant General Manager. It's going to be a wrap for this edition of the Magic Weekly Podcast. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Jake Chapman OM. We'll talk again soon. Until then, be safe, everybody.